there are things about astrophysics that are scary. If your brain gets a little bit nervous about thinking about really large numbers and and really large spaces and extremely violent celestial events. I understand why it can be troubling. I think it's I think it's neat though. I think it's it's fun and, and exciting to think about these big things and to do it, you know, in the comfort of this nice little habitable planet set up perfectly for the life that exists here. Hello, my name is Ray Pauletta, senior editor at Inverse.com, and you are listening to I Need My Space, the podcast that explores the infinite questions of our universe with distinguished experts and enthusiasts within the space community. Today's guest is Dr. Katie Mack. Katie is a theoretical astrophysicist and assistant professor of physics at North Carolina State University. She has studied dark matter, galaxy formation, black holes, cosmic strings, and the ultimate fate of the cosmos. Her work has been published in Scientific American, Slate, Sky and Telescope, Time.com, and Cosmos Magazine. She joins me to talk about two of the universe's most mysterious topics, black holes and dark matter. This is I Need My Space. Hey folks, I Need My Space co-host Steve here, and just like you, I'm super pumped to listen to this conversation with Katie. But I just wanted to pop in to say a very special thanks to HelloFresh.com for supporting this episode of I Need My Space. Receive $30 off your first week of deliveries when you go to HelloFresh.com Space30 and use the code SPACE30. Now, let's start the show. Welcome, Katie. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks. It's good to be here. Awesome. We're glad to have you on. I'm glad that we can now be more than just Twitter friends. We can actually be <laughs> phone friends, too. Or... Yeah. So we like to play a game with all our guests, which is called Best Planet, Worst Planet. It's the game that sounds exactly like what it is. We talk about the best planet, your favorite planet, why. And then we talk about the planet that you like the least. They're all pretty good, but except for Mercury. <laughs> um, so in your opinion, what is the best planet? So I've been thinking about this. I I have a major problem, which is that I love all of the planets. And <laughs> I find it very difficult to play favorites. So I have to confess that my cell phone background is Mars. You know, I do have a bias there. I do want to go there. It's an incredible place. And it seems like a beautiful place. So I'm, I'm clearly biased toward Mars. But lately, I've been uh, I've been really fascinated by Venus. Venus is... It's this fascinating um, sister planet to the Earth, right? Like it's yes. almost the same size and it has, you know, geology and all of this stuff. And it seems like Venus and Mars are these two kind of worst case scenarios for the Earth, which are <laughs> kind of amazing. That's a good amazing. way of putting it. They're kind of amazing because, you know, you can go kind of either direction. Either you go way too far in the atmosphere side or you go, you know, way too far away from it, right? So Mars lost its atmosphere because it lost its magnetic field because the core stopped spinning because it cooled down too fast. Mm -hmm. So now Mars is this like cold, thin aired place. Whereas Venus went like way the other way, oh, yeah. got way too much atmosphere, runaway greenhouse. And it's like hot enough to melt lead on the surface. And it has sulfuric acid rain that that doesn't even make it to the ground because it's so hot that it like evaporates away before it gets there. I mean, it's fantastically just nightmare planet. And the fact that like there's there's kind of this habitable zone in the atmosphere of Venus. Like mm -hmm. there's been these these suggestions of the putting cloud sort cities. of airship. Yeah, like <laughs> yeah. airships, cloud cities in the atmosphere of Venus. Because if you go high enough you've got, you know, uh, good air pressure and um 
I mean, it's still not like breathable, but like you have sort of decent situation there. I don't know. It's a, it's an amazing idea. So I think we should send more things to Venus. I think we should try and build uh, machines that won't immediately be yeah. crushed to death. <laughs> it's like 157 yeah, minutes or something like that. And then yeah. done. Yeah. Yeah. So everything that, that's got, I mean, we have pictures from the surface, like yes. things have gone there and taken pictures. Um, but it would be amazing to get something like solid enough to go down and actually wander around. And people have been talking about like a clockwork rover yeah something that doesn't that. have a lot of electronics so that it could it could move around more easily yeah um, i love the, the electronics will be fried i love the idea of just like this little analog rover yeah <laughs> crawling yeah. around this hell planet it's amazing yeah. so yeah, what's also. the worst planet <laughs> see this these are terrible questions um <laughs> i i was trying to decide between neptune and uranus <gasps> um, wow it's a controversial take i well, like it like they're ice giants, you know, they're out there, they're blue, they kind of <laughs> look really similar. You can't visit them. Um, they they don't have surfaces. <laughs> <They're> yeah. not, <laughs> the clouds their clouds are, are a nice color, but they're not very like interesting and exciting like like Jupiter and Saturn. You know, they don't really distinguish themselves. And maybe the problem is that we haven't sent enough spacecraft out there. Maybe That's we need true. to send more spacecraft out to those planets and then we'd then we'd learn to love them like we have with with all the others nasa uh, the eccentric say. billionaires out there who we will not name <laughs> if you're listening to this send some stuff to uranus and neptune yeah, please or, i mean i mean maybe send some stuff to to, to not mars like that would be <laughs> to not mars yes <laughs> yeah yeah that would be that would be nice i mean mars is great and all it's really it's like, come uh, on how much are, it's like overkill so. <laughs> so finally, if you could send a message out into space, like if you were, say, an interstellar spacecraft, what would your one transmission be? Now you can't send words, right? Because that would be, you'd have to choose a language and then what do you do with that? And you don't want to go way too far the other way and do like prime numbers because that's just not very interesting. <laughs> um, so I was, I was kind of thinking like maybe some kind of music um, because then, you know, like waveforms and maybe there's some kind of mathematical way of understanding it that people would be like, oh, that's kind of interesting, you know, even if they have totally different kinds of brains. Um, but then I thought it would be really neat to send the um, the waveform of colliding black holes or maybe Ooh. colliding or maybe colliding neutron stars because it's because it, it would be like it's kind of interesting to listen to if you if you listen to it that way. looks interesting as like a waveform and it would show that like hey we figured out how to like measure the vibration of space itself so it'd be kind of like showing off you know and also transmitting some kind of something that could be interpreted by a sufficiently like technologically savvy you know people i think that'd be kind of a neat thing yeah Just absolutely like, it's definitely like, a hey, flex you know? for sure like hey we can yeah. do this <laughs> Yeah, I love that. That's yeah. a great answer. So let's dive right into one of the great mysteries of the universe, dark matter. Okay. Somebody who has no idea what dark matter is, could you explain it like, you know, on Reddit, they say, explain it like I'm five. Yeah, I mean, I should say that even physicists have very little yes. idea what dark matter is <laughs> in the sense in the sense that we do not know what it's made of. Um, we're pretty sure that it's real. Uh, and that's that's the you know, we know a lot of things about how it behaves um, and where it is and stuff like that. But we don't know what it is exactly. But what we can say about dark matter. So first of all, 
matter is a is is stuff right so matter is is uh, things like uh stuff that you can touch or or interact with in the world anything that has mass is matter okay so like you know um you pick something up um that that's a thing that has matter anything you can kind of interact with by sort of touching it or or that has gravity that's a kind of matter. Um, so dark matter is a kind of matter that's invisible. I'm, and by invisible, I mean that it doesn't seem to interact with light in any way. So light would pass right through it. It doesn't absorb light. It doesn't emit light. It doesn't reflect light. And even more than that, it doesn't seem to interact with light as electromagnetism so right, yeah so this is we're getting beyond the five-year-old uh concept here potentially, <laughs> but, very a genius five-year-old that's fine well okay but so electromagnetism is things like uh like light is a kind of electromagnetism it's a wave of electromagnetism of, of electric fields but the other thing that electromagnetism does is when you have two things of the same charge and they repel each other turns out that when you try and touch something anything in the world when you touch it the reason that your hand doesn't go right through that thing is because it's actually electromagnetism between like the electrons on the outside of the thing you're trying to touch and the electrons in your hand. So all, you know, all atoms in your body have like um, some kind of particles in the center, a nucleus made of protons and neutrons and it has electrons that are kind of in some way orbiting around that. And so when you have molecules that your body is made of, um, they have electrons on the outside, and they push on other electrons of other things. And so, mm-hmm. whenever you touch something, you're pushing, you're using electromagnetism to push on that thing. You're not actually like physically, like, there's no direct contact. It's it's sort of this repulsion. So, dark matter doesn't seem to feel that force, and so dark matter can pass right through everything, and uh, like it can pass right through regular matter. It can pass right through itself, apparently, without interacting in any way that we can detect. That means that dark matter can pass right through like the room that you're in right now. It can pass right through your body yeah. and you don't notice. It's mystery but, stuff. Yeah, but it does have gravity. So it doesn't do electromagnetism, but it does do gravity. And so when you have a lot of it, um, you know, clumping together, then the, the, the gravity that it produces is very significant. And in fact, like in galaxies, most of the stuff in a galaxy is dark matter and most of the gravity um, that stars and galaxies feel is the gravity of the dark matter. And so the effects that that has is it holds stars into galaxies and it kind of pulls everything together and it helps galaxies form in the early universe and all of that. And so it has this big effect on the scale of galaxies. So like the scale of the Milky Way has this big effect. In, the, in our solar system, it's not that important. There's just not that much of it in the solar system. But on large scales, there's, there's a whole lot of it, and totally. it's the most—it's the most important matter in the universe in the sense that most of the matter in the universe, like 80, 85 percent, is uh, this invisible stuff. Wow, so, so probably, underrated. Yeah, so it's, it's probably some kind of particle, um, but you know, we we don't really know. All we know is there's something that's making extra gravity. In their most yeah. basic forms, once again, can you just yeah. do a really basic explainer about what a black hole is? Yeah, so a black hole is what happens if you put a whole lot of matter into a very small space. Basically, what happens is you put so much matter into a very small space that it has this extremely strong gravity. And if you get too close to it at that point, um, then you can never get away from it again. And that includes light. If you get close enough to a black hole that you're within 
this region called the event horizon. And if you get into that event horizon and you shine a flashlight away from the center of the black hole, the light will go toward the center of the black hole. So, mm-hmm. like, it will not leave. <laughs> so, at some point, nothing can move away from the black hole if you get if you get inside the event horizon. That's the point of no, no return because it is it is physically yeah because it's physically impossible at that point to move away from the center of the black hole. You will be all all directions are toward the center of the black hole at that stage. Yeah, we talk a lot on this podcast about all the ways you can die in space, and there are many. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. But can we talk a little bit about spaghettification? Because that is my yes. personal favorite. So spaghettification is awesome. Um, it's, <laughs> I agree. Uh, well, it's an awesome term, right? It like, is. Because it is, it is a term for being stretched into spaghetti. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that works is that when you have this extremely... Uh, compact thing. I, so I don't say dense because depending on how you define like the size of the black hole, like really large black holes are not that dense, but they're very compact. It's complicated how you explain that, but I'm going to say compact. So a lot of matter, small space. So when you have a really compact thing like a black hole, um, then you can get the situation where the difference in gravity when you're close to it or a little bit farther away is really huge. Um, and so what that means is that if you are, let's say you're falling toward the black hole feet first, then you'll get to a point where your feet are being pulled on so much more strongly than your head that it starts to stretch out your body as you get close to a black hole. And let's say it's a black hole that's like the size of a, you know, the mass of a star or something like that. As you start to get close to the black hole, uh, before you get to the point of no return, you will be, you will be torn apart by these the, it's called a tidal force, this difference between the pull at your feet and the pull at your head. And you will be ripped into this sort of long trail of, uh, you know, person bits that will kill you <laughs> before you get to the <laughs> before you get to the event horizon. Um, oh, man, that's so awesome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's I so mean, cool. If you if you go to a much larger black hole, like a supermassive black hole, like like the one we have at the center of our galaxy. Yes. Um, then uh, for a supermassive black hole. If it's big enough, then you can you can potentially get to the to the event horizon um, before the tidal forces are are too strong. Um, but uh, if you have a huge black hole, you have other problems, which is that there probably are other things falling into the black hole, and as they're falling in, they're going to be like speeding up as they're orbiting and like doing this whirlpool thing into the black hole, and then that's going to be emitting radiation. And so if you get around a black hole where other stuff is falling in, then it's probably got this like disk of X-ray radiating stuff around it. And that's going to kill you before you even get close. So mm-hmm. basically, you know, it's good to give a lot of room to black holes and not get too close in general. Yes. Um, give them their space. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, they're not pleasant up close. I mean, far away, they're fine. Yeah. Uh, as long as as long as like if our if our sun turned into a black hole right now, um, obviously we would die because it would get very cold. Yes. R.I.P.S. Yeah. But we wouldn't get sucked in or anything like it's as long as we're far enough away that we're not near the event horizon. You can stay you can orbit a black hole pretty stably mm-hmm. um, up, you know, out to I mean, as long as you're more than like several times the event horizon radius. Um, as long as you're reasonably far away from it, uh, you can you can keep orbiting and, and nothing terrible will happen to you. But if there was a black hole in the distance from maybe Earth to the moon, we'd all be seriously screwed. I mean, it depends on how big the black hole is, but mm. like you don't you don't want it close. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Better not to take your chances, right? 
so bummed that I missed out on this conversation, but all this talk about black holes and spaghettification sure makes me work up an appetite. That is why I'm so excited to let you all know that this episode of I Need My Space is sponsored by HelloFresh, and they're offering everyone in our audience $30 off your first week of deliveries when you go to HelloFresh.com and use the offer code SPACE30. Now, after a long day of talking about space and producing videos about space, I just, I can't wait to get home and eat. But what I can wait on, however, is the, the lengthy cooking process. It's, you gotta buy groceries, you gotta prep everything. I don't have time to do that. And that's why I love HelloFresh. It provides me with pre-measured foods and simple to follow yet delicious recipes. And I've loved the meals HelloFresh has sent me. This week, I got to take off my space helmet and put on a chef's hat and cook some cherry drizzled pork chops with tomato couscous salad. I mean, the moment I open up these packages, cause I didn't know how fresh it was gonna be, it's coming in the mail, I could just smell how fresh this produce was. And it's such a simple two-pot recipe. I may talk to scientists and geniuses all day, but I can barely turn on the stove. Um, all I needed was one pot for the couscous, one pot for the pork chops, and that sweet, sweet cherry sauce. I think I can officially call myself the best 30-minute chef in my apartment. <laughs> and it smelled so good, my roommates were all over it trying to get some samples from the kitchen. And besides the HelloFresh meals tasting so good, I just really enjoy not having to plan anything or spend money on takeout or worry about getting gathering ingredients week after week. You too can look forward to your weekly HelloFresh box delivery knowing dinner just got easier. So be sure to visit HelloFresh.com Space30 and use the code Space30 to get $30 off your first week of deliveries. Now, let's get back to Katie and Ray's conversation. How do you think that we'll ever get better research with regard to black holes? Like, will we ever really be able to see a black hole? Well, I mean, so it depends on what you mean by see it. So in some sense, like the black hole, if you put light on the black hole, that light will just go in. Mm -hmm. Um, So like you can't shine a light on a black hole and see what it looks like that way because, you know, would do nothing. The light light will not come out again. Um, But uh, there are a couple of ways we can see stuff around black holes and we can see where black holes are. Mm -hmm. So I mentioned that. Like if things are falling into the black hole, they make this kind of whirlpool. The stuff is moving so quickly as it's falling in that it lights up from like the friction, basically it heats up and it lights up. And so for most of the black holes in the universe, we know that they're there because they seem really bright because they have this stuff falling into them and um, that stuff is lighting up. And so we can see like X-rays or or even sometimes gamma rays from black holes. Uh, So Sometimes it's because they're they have a disk of stuff falling in that, that gets really bright. Sometimes, when that stuff is falling in, there's things that happen with magnetic fields that create these jets of, of radiation and particles that shoot out from like the poles of the of the rotation of the black hole. So sometimes like stuff is falling in and spinning around, and then there's this jet of radiation coming out from either end. So you have this kind of these jets of radiation, and then you have this lit up disk. So you can so sometimes we can see those jets of radiation from like really really far away from you know as far as we can see any objects in the universe we can see some of these extremely bright things where there's there's stuff falling into the black hole and creating these these bright jets and and these um, disks of, of matter and then there's stuff like there's the black hole at the center of our galaxy which 
kind of fortunately for us is not eating a lot of matter right now. It doesn't have this huge jet of radiation coming out of it, which is we 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 should probably be kind of happy about. Yeah, that's a good um, thing. Thumbs up. But uh, yeah, but it does uh, it does eat stuff once in a while, so it kind of flickers in like uh, radio and infrared, and little bits of stuff fall in sometimes. But also we can we can see stars orbiting around it because there's sort of a clump of stars right at the center of our galaxy yes. and we can watch the orbits of those stars and we can see, you know, we can trace a star and watch it as it goes, you know, it sort of starts to speed up and then it whips around something that we can't see. And that thing that we can't see is the black hole. Mm -hmm. So we can trace out where it is by the stars that are going around it. And then the other way that we see black holes is through their gravitational waves. Yes. So we have uh, detected with uh, a couple of instruments um, that, that measure sort of the shape of space. We've detected disturbances in the shape of space when two black holes orbit around each other and then merge. And uh, when they do that, they create like ripples through space. And mm -hmm. those ripples in the fabric of space itself in space time yes. um, can travel across the universe and like kind of stretch and squeeze the detectors that we have here on Earth and uh, and see and we see that that sort of distortion in our detectors and we know that black holes have collided with each other like you know a billion light years away it's mm -hmm. really neat yeah that's so metal i love reading yeah. about gravitational waves and especially yeah, the yeah. ligo virgo collaborations incredible yeah. stuff there my only other question about black holes really well actually that's not true i have like a million questions about black holes but <laughs> for the sake of time can you explain why galaxies have supermassive black holes at the center <laughs> um, that's a, a big question in yes. astrophysics right now. Or it's not a question like, I mean, you get black holes at the center because you have a lot of density there and you have, um, you know, stars dying. And, and when this, when really massive stars die, uh, sometimes they collapse into black holes. And, and a lot of times you can get this sort of situation where as the galaxy is growing, uh, more massive things end up toward the center of the galaxy and less massive things um, toward the outside in certain circumstances. But how you get supermassive black holes in galaxies is really difficult to figure out. Yeah. Like for one thing, for one thing, they seem to grow too fast. So we see some galaxies that um, existed, you know, when the universe was only a, like a few hundred million years old like really early on and they have these huge black holes in the centers and we don't know how to make a black hole in that amount of time. Like, like maybe there's a, there's galaxies that are like less than a billion years from after the big bang and, and they have a black hole that's like a million or a billion times the mass of the sun. And it's like, how do you get that much mass into one place that quickly? And it's not that easy to throw matter into a black hole because when you're throwing matter into the black hole, it'll sort of swirl around. And when it swirls around, it'll make all this radiation. And that radiation will push other matter away. So there's kind of a limit to how quickly you can feed a black hole because it kind of has this self-regulating thing where it pushes matter away. And so that slows down the feeding. I can't help but like root for black holes kind of. <laughs> like I kind of relate to them. Like they like their space. They want things to be very far away from them. They're very hungry. Like I get yeah. that. Yeah, they're they're awesome. And they're and they're very simple creatures as well. I mean, based on the best theories out there, black holes have very few properties. Like they have a mass, they have a charge maybe, they have a spin if they're spinning. 
that's kind of it. Like they don't have different colors or like mountains or anything like that. Like they're spherical things. Well, if they're spinning, they can have kind of a little oblong thing going on, but like they're very simple things. We love consistency. Black holes, you're yeah. doing amazing. Keep do- keep <laughs> it up. You're doing amazing. So now some fun questions about black holes. We have a very special request from someone who's definitely not my producer sitting next to me. Um, she wants to know, are you a fan of the Muse song, Supermassive Black Hole? I love that song. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it has this bit about a star sucked into a supermassive black hole. Okay, so there there will be people who will say black holes don't suck like it's not a, the same as you know a physical process whatever okay fine but stars do fall into black holes sometimes and get ripped apart mm-hmm. and we can see like bursts of radiation from the vicinity of black holes sometimes from stars being disrupted as they're falling into black holes which is really neat yeah good job muse wow <laughs> you <laughs> well, guys they, really pulled it off i mean they seem to be really into like you know astrophysics they've got that other song neutron star collision oh yeah um, we detected a neutron star collision with gravitational waves uh, a few months ago and um you know i mean i was waiting for them to to make some kind of statement they didn't but whatever i'm gonna hit up matt bellamy matt if you're listening get on the (laughs) podcast this is your time make a statement so now we've got to talk about tv and film because of course obviously the big one here is interstellar because matthew mcconaughey basically time travels through a black hole (laughs) so i'm just curious to hear your whole take your take on this black hole matthew mcconaughey conspiracy uh um <laughs> it's so much in their fifth dimension they saved us huh. what the hell is they and this why they want to help us huh i don't know but they constructed this three-dimensional space inside their five-dimensional reality to allow you to understand it well that ain't working like he interacts with his daughter and like completes his i don't know like this whole mission to go back in time and it's just oh it's it's a lot yeah i wrote a little thing for for buzzfeed about the science in interstellar and which parts make sense and which parts don't make sense Uh the stuff about going into a black hole and then somehow ending up in this like higher dimensional space and then using gravity to communicate with people in different times I that's no <laughs> that no I'm telling Matthew McConaughey <laughs> that's I mean no. okay so first of all like you don't go, don't go into a black hole like, yes I mean he, the, you know I don't know how we're doing with like spoilers here but no I think we're good like, people had a few years there they, okay go yeah. for it so he goes into a black hole and he's as he's going into the black hole he's communicating with someone else which yes. you can't do because once you're <laughs> inside the black hole, like once you're inside the event horizon, all of the all of the paths are going toward the center. You can't talk to somebody else who's also moving through the black hole who's separate from you. Like it's that doesn't work. And I guess they're trying to they're they're trying to go on this kind of loophole, which is that we don't know what's inside the event horizon. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, you know, we can't observe it. And so they're like, well, anything could be inside the event horizon. And so they're trying to, like, connect to some kind of higher dimensional space, which, you know, I don't maybe, like, 
I don't know, we don't, we don't have any evidence that there are higher dimensional spaces. Um, and we certainly don't have any evidence that somehow the collapse of a star um, could tweak things and make it possible to access that. You know, we don't have any reason to believe that that can be the case. But Kip Thorne, who was the, uh, you know, the main person behind the science of interstellar, he wrote a book called The Science of Interstellar. And <laughs> if you if you read that book, it goes into the super, super speculative possibilities for like what what they're trying to communicate in that section but um astrophysically like it's just it's not a good idea yeah Um, you you should not you should not do that and then this whole thing about like the whole thing about like the quantum data like what is it i don't know what that means (laughs) i know it's just like i don't know what that means (laughs) i guess my last question for you as we wrap up here is is astrophysics scary or is it good no it's awesome i mean like sometimes there are things about astrophysics that are scary if you if your brain gets a little bit nervous about thinking about really large numbers and and really large spaces and extremely violent celestial events like <laughs> that you know i mean the thing is those things are not happening here right mm-hmm. like when we when you if you think about like a supernova or black holes colliding or something like these are unimaginably violent nonstop, you know, things that you cannot possibly stop if you're near them and they can, you know, destroy on a level, on a scale and a level that you can't possibly even conceive as a person living on a planet. That said, you know, we're not in a supernova and our star is not going to go supernova and um, there's no black holes colliding nearby. So it's not like these things are going to affect us. On the other hand, you know, when you start to think about astrophysics and you think about these huge time scales and, you know, the fact that our sun will eat up in the future and boil away the oceans from the earth and, you know, make it impossible for life to live on the surface of this planet, like we're pretty sure that's going to happen. So if it scares you to think about stuff that's going to happen in a hundred million years, you know, that can be disconcerting. And (laughs) Sometimes, you know, sometimes when you tell people like, ah, you'll be long dead by then, like that doesn't reassure them. (laughs) True, true. I I don't, I don't know. Um, So there are certainly people who contact me and say that that they are really upset by thinking about some of these big ideas. I mean, you know, our, our minds are not really like prepared, I think, for some of these, these really like massive cosmic concepts. It can be a little troubling uh, to think about stuff like the sun turning into a red giant and, and swallowing up Mercury and Venus. And, you know, that stuff can be unsettling or, or, or thinking <laughs> about like, or just thinking about like other stars going supernova and like maybe they had planets and like what happened to those planets? I don't know. Um, not good things. I understand why it can be troubling, mm-hmm. but um, I think it's, I think it's neat though. I think it's, it's fun and, and exciting to think about these big things and to do it, you know, in the comfort of, this nice little habitable planet that that is sort of set up perfectly for the life that exists here. You can think about these these big scary concepts, but be in a situation where you don't have to contend with them, at least not immediately. I don't know. I find it fun. I, I like thinking about the end of the universe. Oh, yeah. I love space like, death. Yeah, like how how the entire universe will come to an end and be destroyed. I think that's fun to think about, and that's probably 
a bad sign. <laughs> no, I'm there with you. I agree. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of neat to think about like ultimate cosmic destruction, and oh, I yeah. know that there are some people who do not like to think about that. <laughs> it's, kind of, <laughs> it's kind of a matter of taste, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, folks, if you want to talk about cosmic doom and destruction, you can hit me and Katie up pretty much anytime on Twitter. <laughs> we will love to talk about the end of the world with you, Katie. Thank you so much for coming on today. You want to plug any social media where folks can find you? Best place to find me is on Twitter. I'm at AstroKatie on Twitter. I have a webpage, AstroKatie.com, that has links to all the other stuff. There's uh, Facebook, um, Facebook.com slash AstroKatie. And um, I show up various places on the internet from time to time. And um, in a year, a couple of years, I will be publishing a book. The working title is The End of Everything. It's about the end of the universe. Yes, so if that stuff, on brand. If that stuff does uh, make you excited and happy, um, or if you, if you enjoy feeling scared about existence, keep an eye out for that. Yes, we love uplifting space death stories. Katie, thank you so much again. Pleasure. Thanks, it was fun. about you guys i find the end of the universe oddly comforting to think about what's your theory for the end of the universe let us know by using the hashtag i need my space on twitter don't forget to follow i need my space on twitter instagram and facebook at i need my space pod all that along with info about where you can follow katie will be available in the description for this episode before we close the show i have my fellow cosmic nerd and co-host steve ward in the building and we're gonna do a little segment called why you need your space that's right the segment where we ask other intergalactic geeks what they love most about the cosmos and right now we have joshua dobbs on the line joshua is a quarterback for the pittsburgh steelers he's also a graduate of the university of tennessee and is an aerospace engineer joshua thank you so much for joining us oh thank you for having me on the show today. I'm glad to be here. It's very exciting for us because this is amazing. You are a pro athlete, a quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers, and you're also an aerospace engineer, which means that you're an NFL player and a rocket scientist. That's pretty amazing. (laughs) It is. I got coined the name Astro in college, so like around campus, I guess that puts both, you know, the rocket scientist piece and with the football thing. So it's pretty yeah. cool to have, to have the best of both worlds. I mean, I would just, I think I would feel invincible if I was either one of those, and you're both. I'd say uh, I definitely feel like I can accomplish anything. After yeah, that. I bet. Is there, is there, do you find there's many interesting intersections between being a rocket scientist and a pro athlete? I do. I think, you know, when you're, like, engineering, Engineers are like problem solvers. Like, a lot of engineers think the same. Like when I got to school, you take the little a personality test, and if you fit a couple categories, like you're an engineer. And of course, I was engineer like at heart. But as a quarterback, I feel like it's the same thought process. I mean, you're a problem solver. You're trying to identify an issue and find the most, the easiest and the quickest way to solve that problem and the most efficient way to solve it. I feel like they have a lot of correlation in my mindset, both on the field and in right. the classroom. That's great. Yeah, that is fantastic. So let me ask you, why do you need your space? Well, I need my space because there's so much to offer space. It's it's the future. You know, that step to getting people into space and getting people into Mars. And so I hope it's in the immediate future because it's, it's, it's such a wonderful thought. 
um, that will be able to use a lot of resources, mm-hmm. materials that could help all life on Earth and also help us potentially travel the universe and be uh, trendsetters for the rest of humanity and the rest of the history of the human population. So that's why I think it's so exciting. It's such an interesting field. That's really beautiful. If football seems like, or being a pro athlete, it seems like something you have to be so dedicated to and put so much time and effort into. How do you keep yourself involved in the studies of aerospace and just what's going on out there in the cosmos? Yeah, I know. It's definitely a lifestyle. You know, you're an athlete. <laughs> you, try, you try to be all about sports. But I will say, though, it is great to have a second passion that you're able to not get burned out on your sport. The NFLPA does um, an externship program, and NASA is actually becoming a member of that externship program. So that's something I look forward to reaching out and being a part of next year where I can go and spend time at NASA for three weeks and see what they have going on and dive into that and get a more firsthand look at what we are doing now to reach space. That sounds uh, absolutely incredible. Well, Joshua, uh, thank you so much for for coming on the show. Um, You can follow Joshua Dobbs on Twitter at Josh underscore Dobbs one and on Instagram at Josh Dobbs. You can also check him out on the gridiron when football season begins in September. And you can let us know why you need your space by using the hashtag I need my space. Josh, thank you so much. Go Vols. And uh, I I hope you keep finding that beautiful balance between athletics and uh, looking up to the stars. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks so much, guys. That's it for today's episode of I Need My Space. Bye. Bye. Remember, if you like the show, we'd greatly appreciate it if you could rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts so that we can continue to educate the world about the universe one big question at a time. I Need My Space is an inverse production hosted by Ray Pauletta and Steve Ward. Produced by Sam Riddell and executive produced by Hannah Margaret Allen. Our lovely intro and outro music was created by Andrew Oliveras. <laughs>